As a forward to this episode, I'd like to offer full disclosure and say that my guest is the founder of Smile Software, who have been a longtime supporter of Systematic as well as several of my other projects. They are not, however, sponsoring this episode. Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Greg Scown, the founder of Smile. How's it going, Greg? It's fantastic. Um, so, Smile makes a lot of my favorite software. Where did Smile come from? Like, you, you founded it. What, what's the origin there? Uh, so, Smile Software began uh, when I shipped PageSender back in April of 2002. Um, and then uh, Smile on my Mac came about when I met Philip Goward at Macworld uh, 2003. And we subsequently got together and did a product called Disc Label for labeling CDs, DVDs, and packaging. And uh, then in... January of 2004, we shipped the first version of PDF Pen at Macworld 2004. And in May of 2006, we acquired Text Expander, or well, it was then Textpander, from Peter Maurer of Germany. So those are the sort of big highlights of, of how we got along the way. Uh, Jean joined us as a partner um, in 2008, although she'd been working with us for several years before that. And she uh, left found well, you have to pursue App Camp for Girls full-time after having founded it uh, while working with us uh, two years ago. And that reference is to Eugene McDonald, who has been a, a guest on Systematic a couple of times. Yes. And uh, and it was actually, I think, how I met all of you was through Jean. That would not be surprising. <laughs> She's very social. Jean is very social, I agree. I had forgotten about Disc Label. I actually, I used that before I really even registered who Smile was. But oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, this, I, I mean, just, this, this label came about because I watched somebody who was using Microsoft Word to make labels for uh, disks. And I thought, God, that's crazy. And then at the, <laughs> roughly the same time, there, you know, OS ten was just getting started. And I saw a demo of someone laying out circular text. You know, it was sort of one of those stock demos of NS Layout Manager or whatever for, okay, this is something you can do. And I thought, oh, my God, that's not only something you can do, it's something you actually want to do. Right. Uh, now, <laughs> fortunately, I recognized my, my own limitations, and I'm not super graphically inclined. And I got very lucky to to run into Philip at exactly the right time. And so uh, then it was really, really fun to put that together. Nice. I was uh, at the time making my CD labels in Photoshop, and uh, these days I I don't have any CDs, so that's a an era gone by. But it was a it was a and, handy and app. fast too. I mean, you know, <laughs> wasn't wasn't that long before that we had cassette tapes. All of a sudden, we had tons of these CDs, and now they're all gone. What do they say? Uh, technology continues to speed up by a factor of 10 every 10 years uh it seems like it i suppose if you look I mean, at how again, long vinyl around like vinyl was around and then eight track and then cassette and then cds and then the death of all like portable media recordable media anyway so yeah we, we mourn for the archivists of the future <laughs> And then uh, the next app I got from Smile was Text Expander, and I think I started using it after you had relabeled it, after you had acquired it. Um, I don't recall it ever being. I remember references to Text Expander, but I don't remember using it as Text Expander. Um, and that quickly became one of my favorite utilities on any Mac. I think that goes back for me. Like, um, what year is it? Twenty sixteen. It, it, right now, yeah, and yeah. it was 2006 when when we came out with the original text. That would expanded. have been that would have been the year I picked it up because I uh, I had just started using Macs in 2000 and had just gotten my first personal Mac in about 2005, and then yeah, that was shortly after, and so that's what 11 years I've been a text expander fan, um, and then you uh, you recently released version six. And that switched to a subscription model. 
to a lot of uh, noise, at least in my circle of the internet, which I understand is not terribly huge, but there was a a kerfuffle, can we call it? Sure, I think that makes sense. How did that... Well, first, talk to talk about why you chose to switch entirely to the subscription model. Sure. Well, let's let's first talk about what we did with tax, the new tax expander. Um, I mean, the the key new feature in the new tax expander is selective sharing of groups. So you can take a group and you can share it with someone via their email address, someone that you know is a tax expander user or someone that you want to be a tax expander user. Um, and then we also offer sort of more organization-focused features uh, for f- people who are managing a large organization with a large number of snippets. Um, and I mean, not even large. I mean, Smile would be an organization in, in that sense, um, in that we have a number of people who are doing support and we have a number of groups that we share. But sharing really was the motivation. And it's certainly been something that folks have asked us for for years. Uh, you know, they've said, give us something that is not wonky, like using URL-based groups or um, you know, trying to set up my own web dev server and serve URL-based groups or essentially stuffing everything on a server and downloading and nuking and everything you know, once a week. Or, I mean, the variety of ways that people were trying to share and, and uh, I don't know, succeeding despite themselves or succeeding despite us more accurately, uh, you know, it was myriad. And so you know, we were really, really excited to be able to bring first-class sharing. Uh, one of the consequences of bringing first-class sharing is that the existing sync services, so Dropbox or iCloud, don't provide the level of access that you need to do that kind of sharing. Uh, you know, They're focused on files that belong to a single user or files that are shared amongst multiple people but without metadata or without fine-grained access controls and the things that you need to do to do sharing. Uh, and so, you know, for, for us, we thought that uh, making the break and providing the sharing and going in that direction was the right direction for Tax Expander. Uh, along with that, you know, providing an online service with storage and um, you know uh, servers, etc., comes monthly cost and comes how do you structure your business to ensure that you cover your monthly costs. I mean, kind of one-on-one, you don't want to go out of business. You want to make sure that you have recurring revenue to match your recurring costs, et cetera. Um, and that's different than the sort of boom and bust model that uh, you know we had been pursuing to date and that really most software pursues in you sell a full license and then 12 to 24 months later, you sell an upgrade license and you continue to repeat this process um, to you know, some degree of fall off, some degree of uh, excitement, and some degree of middle ground. Yeah. So, um, I guess the biggest... You probably read my piece that I wrote on my blog about this. Um, the biggest yes, issue that I saw was that it appeared from the press releases and everything that you were providing enterprise features to individual users who didn't need them and requiring that they jump on the same plans as a group. When I say enterprise, I just mean any... Most individual users are concerned about sync but not sharing. It's not... um, For individual users, it's not a requested feature as far as I know. Um, So if that is the only touted feature, people... that, That would explain why people were a little bit uh, shocked by the model switch. Do you think that uh, there are additional benefits in the immediate release that people should be conscious of when deciding whether or not to switch models? Well, certainly in the immediate release, I mean, in terms of what we've done that that someone less interested in sharing might be still interested in, uh, is we revamped the snippet editor entirely and uh, placed all of the controls for the sort of powerful features of Text Expander in a, a toolbar at the top of the snippet editor front and center um, and made them you know, really prominent. So if you hadn't explored fill-ins because you didn't even know they existed because they were 
down in a submenu, then they're now right in front of you to to consider um, and hopefully to use. And so that is a change that that might be of interest. But I, the other part, I think, is I'm still going to stump for sharing. I, I'm sure that I'll get some feedback that uh, <laughs> you know this is this is unwanted or naive or what have you. But I, you know. People are not islands. They're, you know, I mean, everyone, yes, I, you know, everyone's an individual, of course, but every individual is connected to other people in a variety of ways. And a lot of them are computing related ways. And so, you know, yes, everyone's an individual, but they might also be, you know, a member of some sort of club or affinity group, or they might have, you know, some form of common interest with other people. And, you know, we were we were aware that sharing, uh, you know, really generally is you know for t- for two or more people, but we were certainly of the impression that it's not that hard to find two or more people who benefit from sharing. Well, and especially selective sharing, I guess, because exactly like for me, the instant thought is I have a ton of snippets that no one else is going to want. You know, my phone number, my email signatures, things like that. But then uh, you you know that I share a lot of public groups as well that people can subscribe to, uh, snippet groups. And, uh, and yeah, so with selective sharing, that does make sense. There are, there, are, there are snippets that even my parents, and I say that in a very generic sense, but um, even my parents would find useful. So I can see the point there. So, I mean, I think we have a challenge ahead of us in the sense of, we really need to evangelize and uh, tout the benefits of this. And I mean, in fact, we've even started this on our blog a bit. So um, you know, I've, I've detailed a brand group that, that I do because I constantly get the camel case brands wrong. Like, is it Dropbox <laughs> with a capital D and a capital B? Or I have to look know, it up every ever, time. I would share is that Evernote group with you. Camel- well, so yeah, you should totally. I'll share that group with you. I'd be delighted. And then feel free to help me uh, help me flesh it out some because uh, you know it, it's definitely something that I use all the time. And it actually, I'm grateful for it because it makes me seem considerably more professional than I actually am. <laughs> Yes. Well, it it makes you see, it makes you seem not unprofessional. Like when yes, you're writing, people don't notice if you get it right, but people notice if you get it wrong. Precisely. <laughs> so every time I type something that is two words combined and I'm not sure if they're inner caps, I always have to look it up and that would definitely be handy. I would gladly. Right, and what to an that. incredible waste of time that is! I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so much easier to just have, see text. I've written entire like, services for doing that within text editors. <laughs> yep, which is a waste of my time, but hopefully saves other people time. Yeah, that's kind of what I do. I waste my time so other people don't have to. And and I'm sure that everyone is grateful for that. Don't worry. <laughs> I get I get thank you notes regularly, actually exactly. almost daily, but. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I guess the other point that was brought up to me by Maya at, uh, at smile when I was researching, you know, how to respond to this and I had to make a measured response because as I stated in the article and at the top of this episode, you guys are regular sponsors of mine, but I also understood where a lot of people were coming from with their initial, uh, shock and awe at this change. Um, one of the points was that it opens the door for new features and integrations, especially web-based integrations that weren't possible before. Is that something that you are excited about? Is that is that a party line? What uh, what kind of uh, what's the general mood in that area in the developer part of Smile? Oh, it's definitely something we're excited about. I mean, I think. One of the logical things for us to do in the not too distant future is public groups to which other people can subscribe. So, of course, you offer these via URL right now, um, but you don't necessarily have, you know, a way to sort of manage your audience. You just, you know, people either subscribe to them or they don't. You don't really have any sense of of the size of your audience and, you know, which, which ones perhaps would benefit from from the most attention and. We would really like to offer the ability to publish a group, the ability for people to subscribe to a group, and the ability for you to publish a link to your group that other people can subscribe to 
without an explicit invitation. And so, you know, that's certainly a direction we're going. In fact, the, you know, the underlying technology to do this in general is already there in the form of our predefined groups. So those are already implemented in that fashion. Uh, but, you know, we also need discovery and moderation um, in order to get to where we're going. And that stuff doesn't happen overnight. So that's one thing that we're excited about. The other thing that we're excited about would be to have some form of integration uh, so that the creation of a snippet or the creation of a group or the editing of a snippet or the editing of a group could trigger something. Um, and likewise, that some external action could cause the creation of a snippet or the creation of a group. So that's another area that, that we're very excited to pursue. And that, yes, prior to doing what we're doing now, that would just have been impossible. Yeah. And I see that being um, a, a feature, especially intriguing to developers who could then use, I assume, an API of some sort to provide tools and services to your customers, um, which I think is the, uh, the key to succeeding with a lot of services in today's market is providing tools for third-party developers to expand on. I think uh, a lack of API or in like Twitter's case, shutting down the API is detrimental in a lot of ways. Not that Twitter is going to, you know, shrivel up and die because of that, but. Right. No, I, I understand. And certainly that's, you know, that's a, a direction that, that we plan to go. So. Um, okay. So first a compliment and then a question. I, uh, I greatly appreciate in text expander six that I can now tab into the label and abbreviation fields properly. <laughs> that's been my, okay. that's been my biggest complaint with the OS 10 editor for as long as I can remember is when I hit tab, it would go to label, but then from there it would tab back to the edit field and now it works. And that makes me super happy. But then the question would be on iOS. Are there improvements coming to the keyboard? So that's a great question. Um, I mean, certainly there will be uh, some some basic improvements. Um, I know that we're overdue for an iPad Pro layout, and it wouldn't surprise me if that came along in the not-too-distant future. The challenge on iOS for third-party keyboards is that the support in iOS is... Um, oh, I don't know how to say this diplomatically, not great, I guess, is the short version. And so you don't have access to predictive text. You don't have access to dictation. There are limitations. You can't essentially move the cursor around, even, even if you wanted to. Really, all you can do is observe recent input um, and modify sort of nearby text based on recent input. And so that makes it really incredibly limiting in terms of what you can do uh, without going down the road of, you know, a giant natural language processing project, which I think that we had hoped that, you know, Apple being a company that's done substantial research in this area and um, one that generally exposes their sort of research level stuff, uh, you know, we thought that maybe we would luck out and that some of that stuff would get exposed over time, which would allow us to improve the keyboard without having to embark in those areas. Uh, that remains to be seen. I, I, I am hopeful for iOS 10, but, you know, I'll see where they get along with everyone else. I guess my, my biggest qualms are with basic functionality. Having the text expander keyboard saves me time every day. I absolutely love having access to all my snippets but for typing for if i'm doing anything other than inserting snippets the keyboard gets a little bit uh it seems laggy the keys seem uh in general most of the ios keyboards especially the default one seems to respond uh very well to me partially missing a key whereas mm -hmm. the current text expander keyboard doesn't and I guess it's those really basic functionality areas that I'm wondering if those are being worked on. Uh, we certainly intend to put some work into it. So, um, you know, I, I, 
I don't know exactly the time frame. Uh, it depends, again, a little bit on what happens with iOS. Uh, but I think that uh, you know, moving forward, we're, we're likely able to do more in that space. I, I would greatly look forward to that. Um, let's go ahead. Let's move on to uh, your other major product at Smile, which is PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro. Um, what's the uh, what was what was the impetus for creating this in in the first place? Sure. So, well, it, it's it was sort of planned obsolescence in a way. So uh, we st- I started with Fax Software, which was PageCenter before we became Smile on My Mac, and you know this was even on the, the waning end of facts, but it still was a you know, substantial market at the time. And you know, it was pretty evident that over time you were going to exchange your documents electronically and that certainly it seemed like PDF was going to be the way to go. Plus, at the same time, I was receiving these documents electronically that required a signature uh, you know, for either the formation of a business or for setting up an e-commerce account, etc., and the you know, standard technique at the time was print it out, sign it, and then either fax it or scan it and fax it or you know what have you. And that just seemed like a terrible process and it seemed like something that was going to get better. And so the, you know, mainly the initial function of PDF Pen was to allow you to put an image onto a document, make the image background transparent, um, and save the document. And then also to be able to add bits of text. And of course, PDF Pen still does that and much more. Uh, but at the time, that was really exciting because I could receive a PDF or a document in whatever format. I could apply a signature. I could apply text. And I could turn around on that document without ever having to print it or fax it. Yeah, th- those days were hell. Yeah. So that was the getting started phase. And I mean... Since then, it's become an extremely full-featured PDF editor, so you can export in Microsoft Word format if you need to do sort of um, massive reorganization of your document. You can redact, uh, you can search and redact if you need to get a particular piece of information, like a surname or something, out of a document. You can... Uh, you know, reorder pages, it's fully scriptable. You can do optical character recognition, it's just it is sort of the Swiss Army knife of what you can do with PDFs. I feel like you you buried the lead on that because OCR seems like a big deal to me. Well, OCR is, is certainly important, and but it's interesting uh, how we wound up having OCR in PDF Pen. It it really came about because people opened PDF documents that were essentially scanned documents that had no text layer. Right. And they would write to us and say, but I can't select the text. And <laughs> and so, you know, it's one of those cases where you live in the computer world and it's entirely evident to you why something is as it is, but it is not entirely evident to the rest of the world. They're like, I can see that. That's obviously text. Why can't I select it? And, you know, your customers aren't wrong. So, <laughs> so it behooved us to, to find a solution to that. And so that was sort of how we went into the OCR business part of PDF Pen. And, you know, then, then we've, we've gone on to uh, you know, just improve the feature set and to adopt the improved engines from our vendor. Nice. All right. Well, now that we've gotten the uh, the product discussion out of the way, let's talk about you. Okay. You, you gave me a list of your interests, and they're oddly in line with what's going on with me right now. And uh, I guess the first thing of interest to me is your running. Okay. So d- define what what is your, uh, I guess, capacity as a runner. Do you Are you like a marathon runner? Do you jog for exercise? Where do you fall? I jog for exercise, basically. I'm a pretty casual runner. In in my ideal world, uh, I run three times a week between three and five miles at a time. Uh, but, you know, my, my ideal world is often disrupted by, <laughs> by other stuff. Sure. So that's what I try to manage. And then every once in a while, uh, I like to do a nice long run. We have a 
reservoir near the house uh, called Lake Chabot. And it's about eight and a half miles around. And it's not too much elevation change on the way around, but there is a little bit of elevation change to make it fun. And uh, I like to do that. You know, I, I try to manage to do that a couple times in a summer. And that's on concrete? Uh, that is on about three miles of it is asphalt and the remaining six miles trail. Okay. See, I, I have the fortune of living literally at the trailhead at the top of some of the best trails in Minnesota in the uh, unglaciated region, which is all hills and valleys and bluffs. And, uh, and I can walk out my door and get to a trailhead that leads into a network of, I think, seven different trails, some that are up and down, some that are very they're like low rollers, they're called. And mm-hmm. I've never used them since I was a teenager and I used to race mountain bikes. And then I, I moved up here and I got fat and old and thought I would never use them again. But then I started uh, <laughs> in in reaction to having all of my ADHD meds cut, I decided that exercise might be a solution for me. So I started walking the trails every day, uh, 30 mm-hmm. minutes minimum, try to do 60 minutes. And then I started trying to run the trails and getting the exercise to a point where my heart is racing and I'm sweating and then breaking through that and continuing that actually did make my brain work. You know, like I'd get home and, and my, it would just work for like an hour or two. Um, so I started kind of getting addicted to running so that I could work, but Mm -hmm. I can't, I can run for about four minutes right now before I have to just walk the rest of the way. And I'm wondering what do I need as far as shoes for trail running? What's going to make my shin stop freezing up? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think just sort of general advice would be to find your running store. Uh, I mean, yes, there are the mall stores. Let's so say I live in a town of 35,000 people that doesn't have a lot in the way of specialty stores. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> Fair, fair enough. Although, I mean, I reckon that you, you probably don't live more than two hours away from a populated area that does have some specialty stores. I think if I and, go 45 minutes, I could find one. Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to do this, uh, you know, regularly enough and you don't want to injure yourself, then it probably is worth your time to go to a store where they have people who can size you up, can ask you questions about, your running style can look at, you know, do you splay your feet? Are you an overpronator, an underpronator? Those kinds of things. And then also, do you have good arches? Do you not? Uh, and and help you find shoes that really will work for you. I mean, I'm not a shoe expert by any means. Uh, what I do is I go to a store over in San Mateo, which is about a 30-minute drive from here, uh, called A Runner's Mind. And that's where I go buy my shoes because – they know what they're doing and they know how to help. All right. I can do that. So I that would be my, my best advice. Yeah, really. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're experts for a reason. So what does, uh, what does running do for you? Is it purely fitness? Do you find other benefits? Uh, it's certainly fitness, which is good. And I like the sort of time to think and not be occupied with the screen. So you know, I think that just works for me. I also like that it gets me outside. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that aspect for me. Um, being occupied with the screen was always my favorite thing to do until I couldn't anymore. Once, once my medications were changed, I just, I would just end up banging my head on the keyboard. And at that point, going outside and going for a run was an escape for me Mm -hmm. until I found out that it also helped me come back and work at the screen. So it's a, it's a beneficial, I'm, I've lost weight. I'm, I'm happier and I'm actually able to work a little bit now. So that's, that's fantastic. That's really good news. Yeah. What, um, I had another running question and I lost it because ADHD. Um, so, so the next thing on my list that you sent would be cooking and food, which is also something I've gotten heavily into. And I've started working more towards heart healthy dishes 
But um, but the process of cooking has been fascinating to me. So I'm wondering what you enjoy about cooking and what your favorite kind of cooking would be. Uh, I think I like the process in a way. I think that I like planning a meal. I like doing the prep, doing the executing, and certainly, of course, the eating part. I mean, who doesn't like the eating part? Come on. And so... You know, that's that's always fun. Uh, stuff that I like to cook runs kind of all over the map. Uh, I like I like eggplant parmesan. In fact, mm. actually, I just <laughs> I, I I have a, a sort of very piddly blog, codecookread.com, and I just did a bit on sweating an eggplant. And so I don't I don't know if you've uh, I have no idea what that is. Okay, so eggplant is kind of full of liquid and it's yeah. actually this green bilious bitter liquid and most of the time folks just cook the eggplant with the green bilious bitter liquid right in it and so frequently eggplant tastes a little off and uh and i think people just think oh it's just eggplant and for, i bet for some people it's the reason they don't like eggplant but uh if you take your eggplant cut it salt it and let it sit for a while all of that liquid will come out and then you can just rinse the salt and the liquid off, pat it down with some paper towels and move on with using your eggplant and you'll have all the bitterness taken out and the eggplant will be as best as it can possibly be. That sounds awesome. I've made eggplant parm. I enjoy eggplant parmesan, but I had mm-hmm. no idea that that could be done. Yeah, I d- recommend trying it. But you may find that your, your eggplant parmesan tastes a lot better than you thought it could. That would be awesome. I, Since I started taking a medication called Stratera, my taste buds have changed and I suddenly enjoy tomatoes. I've, it's been part of my identity my whole life that I hate tomatoes. Like that Mm. would be something that I would, it would be in my elevator pitch, tomatoes and mushrooms. I will not eat. And all the, all of a sudden good tomatoes, fresh tomatoes, and even like shiitake mushrooms, I am enjoying like actually craving in they taste entirely different to me so that's been a really weird progression in my uh my cooking and suddenly using ingredients that i never would have even considered buying before yeah I that's kind of neat it's, cooking it does relate to coding for me it is about the process i also really enjoy the serving aspect eating is fine but i like watching other people's faces when i make something really good Mm-hmm. It's uh, fulfilling. I get. I have a constant need for validation. It's a, a weakness of mine. Always well, I, looking I mean, for people to that, pat me on the back. Is that a weakness, or is that something that everyone craves? I mean, I don't know. You, I, I certainly, I would say that one totally enjoyable aspect of cooking, especially if you're going to go all out, uh, you know, is the faces of the other people and the enjoyment of the people that that you're serving. Um, you know, that's. That's totally part of the process and, and part of the, the joy of it. When I'm at a decent restaurant and the chef doesn't come out, I send notes to the chef saying thank oh, you that's neat. or my compliments just because I don't trust servers to always deliver my compliments to the chef when something is really good. And that's I, a very cl- clever workaround for that. <laughs> I like that. I think, I think a good chef deserves it. When you're at a restaurant and you're blown away by by something that uh, was just uh, immaculately prepared and immaculately displayed, that deserves compliments. I'd hate to be a chef who just sent that out blindly and never heard. Oh, no, absolutely. I can totally understand that. Empathy is my other weakness, and that is a weakness. I suppose it could be a strength in some some situations, but in general, it gets me in trouble. So you're, again, again, it doesn't doesn't sound to me like it necessarily has to be a weakness, but nonetheless, <laughs> I got beat up. So a lot. so so on your on your food food items, uh, where where you sort of discovered tomatoes and mushrooms, I didn't grow up with mango or cilantro. I had not had <laughs> either of them, but by, by the, so so by by the time I left for college. And I, I first encountered them in college, and I hated both of them. I just thought, oh, my God, this is disgusting. And 
I couldn't quantify why, and, and I realize now it's, it's mostly because I'd never had them before, and taste-wise, they're, they're out there. Cilantro um, does take some getting used to. They're out there. They're delicious. I love them both now, but it really took me, God, probably until my late 20s before <laughs> I enjoyed cilantro or mango. I, I remember we would go out for, for lunch in San Jose, and we would go to the Vietnamese place, and I would order the cold noodle dish and i would ask for no cilantro and the lady would giggle i mean <laughs> it's absurd to have this dish without cilantro but but i just couldn't stomach it and uh, eventually eventually i could so i grew up my mother was allergic deathly allergic to bell peppers and she also mm-hmm. hated anything spicier than black pepper and mm-hmm. so i grew up with i mean it was okay, but once I left home and discovered spicy and very flavorful foods, um, I was instantly in love. Uh, Thai was my favorite for probably 10 years. I'd get Pad Thai and uh, mango rice pudding all the time, both of which are uh, contain mango and or cilantro. And from the first time I tasted cilantro, I loved it and quickly realized that there's a sharp divide between people who love cilantro and people who hate cilantro. And it seems to be the same thing that I had with tomatoes, where people just taste it differently. Mm -hmm. When when people would describe cilantro and why they hated it to me, it wouldn't register as the same way that I tasted cilantro. Right, right. And it's funny that you brought those two up because I just bought both of those at the co-op yesterday. Mango salsa. Nice. What are they going in? Mango salsa with a couple of fresh avocados and it's going to be good. Excellent. Yeah. So your your other your other thing of interest to me is reading. How much sure, uh, I, uh, oh, I guess my first question would be how far back does your reading love of reading go? Uh, tiny. I mean, you know, the Pawtucket Public Library children's reading room. <laughs> Seriously. So yeah. Uh, no, I've been I've been a reader all my life. Uh, not as great as I've gotten older, admittedly, but still push myself to make time for it because I really enjoy it. Was there ever a period of your life when you just kind of lost touch with reading? Not really. It just slowed down a bit, but uh, there's some ebb and flow to that. Uh, but no, not really. Has your personality, in your opinion, been constant your whole life? I mean, evolving, that's a, obviously. That's a good question. <laughs> that's deep. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not the radical wrenching change guy. It's true. So, so probably yes. Or, I mean, to a certain extent. And... I think that I was probably a lot higher strung, um, a lot more anal, for lack of a better word, when I was in my early 20s than I am now. But, you know, I'm probably still pretty high on the spectrum for that. So, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've progressed downward to, to, to a certain, you know, more mellow degree. That's interesting. I'm a, I'm a little jealous of that. I have a, a tendency every four years to burn everything down and start again and mm-hmm. start as a different person. And I don't know, my personality goes through these rapid shifts, my taste, my desires, my dreams, my goals, my uh, level of, you know, jealousy or drive or any of these major personality aspects just shift. And it's, um, it's jarring to everyone around me. To the point where I've had to move just because all of a sudden nothing made sense anymore. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I envy your, your slow and steady progression. I guess, I guess I'm a bit of the tortoise, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your, what's your favorite genre of book? Ah, see, that one's tough. I like everything. I'm kind of a sponge. I mean, I like, let's say fiction as a you know broad general category. I'm not a huge reader of nonfiction. For, for that, I probably would more turn to current magazines and things like that. But, uh, but within fiction, I'm kind of all over the map. So I, I enjoy uh, 
historical fiction, so something like uh, Mary Doria Russell writing about Doc Holliday, or I enjoy her science fiction writing about uh, Jesuit mission to Mars, uh, uh, mission to, uh, uh, not to Mars, to, uh, oh goodness, where did they go? They went to a planet, forgive me, uh, or, mm. or star system or something. And it was quite clever. Huh. Uh, the name of the book is called The Sparrow. So, and then I, I enjoy T.C. Boyle, who writes generally short fiction about modern situations in California, but he'll even write historical fiction. Um, and m- my most recent fun, fun discovery is the um, Indian author Amitav Ghosh. And so he did a trilogy that is set during the Opium Wars. And it's mixed with some historical personages and some real events. And, you know, it's his imagining of what the time might have been like. And I think it's super clever. I really enjoyed it immensely. Do you read much nonfiction? No, no. As I said, mostly mostly fiction. Yeah. But And then, and then I hadn't been much of a fantasy person, but I, I got two recommendations in the not-too-distant past – uh, one was for a book called The Rook, which is this sort of supernatural cleanup agency set in the UK. And it, it, it's kind of crazy premise, and it was really, really fun. And then the other uh, by Aaron Morgenstern is The Night Circus, uh, which just was an absolutely beautiful book. And my wife just read that. I haven't, I haven't tried yet. It okay. was too it's big a book really, for me really to great. just grab from her. Sure. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so, well, I loved fantasy as a kid. I can't do it much anymore, but I should check those out. Um, by the way, I believe Alpha Centauri is where the sparrow. Thank you. So sorry about that. <laughs> I had to look That's it up. I I don't know anything about this book, so I'm reading from a uh, an Amazon summary. Um, yeah, I guess I feel like nonfiction is what you do when you are so avid a reader that you run out of fiction. I don't, I never I feel like I have time possibly run out of fiction. I know. I, know. <laughs> I just, so I feel like there are all these nonfiction books that I really should be reading that I really want to know more about the topic, but mm-hmm. there's so many stories I would rather get lost in at any given time. I mean, it sort of depends on your appetite. There was a time when I was really curious about the history of Mexico, and I realized I know nothing about or very little about the history of Mexico, and I found a good nonfiction book about the history of Mexico and enjoyed it immensely. And for me, I guess maybe I'm a targeted nonfiction reader. You know, It really has to be something that's sparked my current interest. I, I suppose I'm not one of the folks who just has – you know, these incredibly broad interests where they're like, okay, I'm going to read about Abraham Lincoln this week and I'm going to read about, uh, you know, interstellar travel possibility and, <laughs> you know, how speculative engine design, you know, the next week. I, I just, that doesn't, doesn't really work for me, I'm afraid. I, uh, yeah, I tend to take at least three weeks to get through a book. So uh, planning out my topic schedule would be, nearly impossible my local bookstore um went out of business actually their last day will be this week and Mm -hmm. uh they immediately like marked everything off to 50 percent off and i had a house account with a couple hundred dollars in it so i now have a bookshelf full of (laughs) books that i didn't know i wanted until i dug through the entire inventory of this store I have a lot to read. I even got some galley copies of books that haven't been released yet, but I'm not supposed to tell anyone that. <laughs> but I did get a good book on Palestine and Israel, uh, like a nonfiction history of the Middle East and the the conflict in Palestine or over Palestine. And that is actually two up and two down on my list of things I'm actually absolutely going to read. So it'll be mm-hmm. my first nonfiction book since getting back into reading after a 10-year break. Cool. I'm kind of we'll obsessed. We'll have to check with. in with you and see how that goes. Yeah. 
some accountability. No, no, no. I, genuine curiosity. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> totally forgivable. I, uh, I would, I would love to have someone to talk to about that. Um, yeah, but I'm, I, I'm kind of obsessed with the Middle East, and I guess I come from a family where Fox News perspective is uh, accepted. So I constantly, at any fam- family gathering, have to be well armed. <laughs> and so, so that's my uh, my goal is to be abs- so well armed that no one can debate me. It'll be fun, you know uh-huh. how Thanksgiving goes, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the top three picks, and I do believe that you've already started into one of yours. So, well, that's okay. I can stump. I can stump another book by the same author. I'll, I'll give him. I'll give him double billing. Uh, Sounds so- great. It's the Indian author Amitav Ghosh and another book that he's written uh, that's actually centered in, in modern times uh, in Bangladesh is The Hungry Tide. So, Perfect. And what is the uh, genre slash topic of that? Uh, it is uh, essentially a modern tale about a dolphin researcher uh, who comes to an area she's utterly unfamiliar with and – learns about it, disrupts it, and is and is disrupted by it. That sounds intriguing. It is. It was a really neat book. Interesting. There was a question I had from the previous section that I will ask now. Do you listen to country music? I do not. Okay. I, I don't like know that, that I would say that I don't know that I would say that I'm categorically opposed to country music, but do do I seek it out in the course of my regular day? No, I'm afraid not. If you have some recommendations that 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 I, that should, you know, open my mind and blow my doors off, then that would be kind of cool. I will give you one, but it's not going to count as one of my top picks. Um, All right, fair enough. So I I have hated country, uh, everything that since I was about probably thirteen years old, everything that has been labeled country, I have hated, and I still do. But I grew up in a family where Johnny Cash was multi-generational love you know like mm-hmm. i could listen to it with my grandma my mom we all love johnny cash and i came to love like old merle haggard and um loretta lynn all of these like grand old opry stars mm-hmm. that stuff i loved but that kind of died uh for mm-hmm. the most part there have been lucinda williams and nico case have done some stuff in the vein over the years but there's been a resurgence lately uh, most notably, Margot Price. Uh, she has an album that's almost entirely about whiskey. Uh, it's called The Midwest Farmer's Daughter, which I do believe is a reference to The Coal Miner's Daughter because the style is so close to Loretta Lynn. But if you're if you're curious about the resurgence of classic country, Margot Price would be the one I would check out. All right. There's Sounds been so many. Uh, it's been so prevalent lately. Every talk show musical performance turns out to be like what I remember from my childhood is a grand old Opry like showstopper. It's been fun. Mm-hmm. I missed that stuff. I'm a punk rocker at heart, but I can, I can appreciate good country. Uh, so anyway, um, the hungry tide mm-hmm. sound it's fiction, right? I mean, it's yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something I would check out. After I finished the twenty some books on my shelf right now, yep, you got you got some time going. I'll, ca- I'll catch up with you in twenty eighteen. <laughs> there you go. That sounds about right. All right. So my first pick is actually an old something I bought uh, a year or two ago, and it's something that I replaced an earlier version of. It's the Alaclip for iPhone, mm-hmm. and uh, I have the latest version that works with my iPhone 6 Plus, and it's constructed such that I believe it will survive a few generations of the iPhone now, but it's a a removable lens that goes over the lens on your phone for your camera and gives you both uh, fisheye and wide field, and then you can turn those to get macro lenses out of them. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of a three-in-one triple threat. And I just dug it up 
last week well for for a hike actually um i was doing a lot of hiking i was doing a lot of photography on the hikes and wanted to expand that and i didn't feel like carrying my big sony alpha with me and uh and the owl clip is a perfect like hiking photography companion and the fisheye lens actually is a lot of fun but the wide field lens is awesome when you get to uh a peak and a prairie and you just want to like take a picture of the entire valley below you it's perfect Mm -hmm. are you good at remembering to bring it along with you I have a special jacket that I only wear when hiking, and it contains my uh, my headphones and my ala clip, one in each pocket, and then it has a pouch for my water bottle. And so, yes, kind of like the way I, I have certain pants that always have my wallet and my bullet pen in them, so that when I leave the house, I always like I change them, but I move those items always to the current pair of pants before going to bed so I don't get to the grocery store without my wallet. So same concept. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I feel like this, this episode has been a lot about me. I apologize. I'm talking. Oh, sh- that's fine. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so, right. so my second pick then I guess is yeah. uh, the dork food. That is the brand name. Sous vide temperature controller. So uh, backing up briefly, what is sous vide? It's, uh, cooking meat in a vacuum seal um, in a water bath. So first you want them to vacuum seal the meat so that you don't get water on it, but then you want to cook it submerged in water so that you can cook it to an exact temperature. And there are very fancy, very expensive machines for both the vacuum sealing and for the water bath. But honestly, you don't need any of that. Uh, Basically, a Ziploc will do just fine, and Archimedes taught us that you can dunk that Ziploc under uh, in, a, in a pan of full of water, and as long as you submerge the entirety of the meat and then seal the bag, you will have done a good enough job evacuating all of the air from the bag. So that solves your problem. No need for a you know vac pack or vac seal or whatever machine. And then the other piece is the temperature controller. And so this looks like a, essentially a piece of labware, uh, which it probably is like a repurposed piece of labware, but it's a very accurate thermostat with a probe. And you take the dumbest slow cooker in the world, one that has on and off, or maybe if you, if you have to, on low and high and stick it on high. And then you plug that into the temperature controller and then plug the temperature controller into the wall, put the probe into the slow cooker and that's it it will keep the water in the slow cooker at a constant temperature well it takes some time to get to the temperature but once at temperature it will stay a constant temperature and so the prototypical example is if you're going to have a steak and we don't eat red meat very often and so if i'm going to i want it to be really pretty much perfect i don't want to blow the cooking of it i don't want it way over medium rare i I really just want a beautiful perfect medium rare steak for the rare occasions in which I have them. And this just does it every time. So when you're done, you undo the bag, you take the meat out, you slap it on a hot grill on one side for 30 seconds and a hot grill on one side for the other 30 seconds, just essentially to paint on the, um, you know, outer coloring. And then you have a perfectly cooked piece of meat with no half an inch of gray or anything like that. It's really, it's just fantastic. Have you ever discussed this with Rich Siegel from Bare Bones? I don't think I have. That was one of his picks when he was on the show. Was a uh, His was a uh, $400 Nomiku Suvida Immersion Circulator. Yeah, okay. My, my, mine is a $99 temperature controller that would look suitable in a lab. And uh, and probably you could get it used on eBay for, for even less. It would be worth trying. That that but, sounds uh, more like, uh, given I'm curious about it, but not ready to drop $300 um, yeah. or $400. Um, I get the distinct feeling that Rich probably uses his more often than I use mine. <laughs> it, would be, it would be interesting to have you two compare notes to see if there's <laughs> actually any benefit to the additional $300. Shall, shall do probably i'll see him in san francisco in june <laughs> all right that is i have been curious about 
that uh, whole process for a while because I am also, I don't eat a lot of red meat and I do enjoy a good, almost medium rare steak, but it does take a lot of, uh, I guess, calculation to do it in a, in a pan or on a grill and to be able to just know that I was going to get it right would be a lot less stressful. You would, you'd have to cook them very often. I mean, you'd have to be a chef essentially who was doing this regularly to, to achieve, I think that kind of consistency and regularity on a grill or in a pan. Yeah. And I, I think that basically most home chefs just don't cook meat often enough to achieve that. And I don't know, I, I'm of the opinion, why fight it? I mean, if I can find a solution <laughs> that, that that wins 100% of the time and, you know, that doesn't involve me having to cook a steak every day for, you know, three weeks straight just to get, you know, in the groove, which I will, the groove, which I would lose anyway, right. doesn't seem worth it. <laughs> I would agree with that. All right. So my second pick is an iOS keyboard called Hemmingboard, and it's for writers, and it will, while you're typing, instead of predictive text, it gives you a rhyming dictionary with um, synonyms, antonyms, and rhymes. And it even oh, has, a, cool. has a section called um, puns. And it'll give you words that, in, like, in a more poetic uh, setting, you can actually play around with the etymology of a word. Mm-hmm. And uh, and create puns, and it'll give you suggestions for that, which is it's a lot of fun. I've had a good time with this. I kind of want it on really my neat. Mac too, where I do most of my writing. Cool. All and right. then I my third pick is I mean you're picking all the technology stuff, so that's great. And I I you know hadn't picked technology stuff, so my third pick is a place, um, and so that is Big Sur, California. And this is down south of Monterey um, and north of San Luis Obispo. And it is right up against the Ventana Wilderness, which is just an absolutely beautiful area. Um, If you're ever there and you got two days to spare, then I would recommend hiking in the Pine Ridge Trail, overnighting at essentially the Big Sur Hot Springs, and uh, then walking out the next day. But if you don't have an opportunity to do that, just stopping in the town, uh, having breakfast at the Ripplewood Cafe, or going down to the – there are some art galleries south of town. I mean, it's really, really tiny place, but it's just stunning, absolutely gorgeous place. And then uh, there's also a, a point, Andrew Malera Point, which is at the north of Big Sur that you can – walk out to it's about a say half a mile three quarters mile walk where you can see the the oceans just smashing up against the uh, sorry the ocean waves excuse me smashing up against the rocks it's just it's stunning uh so you know if if anybody's looking for a fun place to go when they're vacationing in northern california or central california then i highly recommend it are you a backpack camper uh, I was when I was younger. Uh, I have not done much as uh, as I've gotten older, I'm afraid. <laughs> was there a point where you realized your back just did not love sleeping bags on pine needles anymore? Uh, no, I could probably still do that. I don't think that would bother me. Just just some changes in life, that's all. Uh, do you climb at all? Uh, rock climb, no. Okay. Uh, the, the, the times I've most heard Big Sur mentioned has been from climbing friends. But I live in Minnesota, so California in general doesn't get a lot of mention, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, California California's kind of where I see myself eventually ending up someday, if it's still there in, in, when I'm in ready. In one of to, a, fu- a future four-year plan? Yeah. Well, if it doesn't slide into the ocean or burn before I get to a point where I'm ready to move, I, f- I feel like that's where I want to go. I'd rather go to Hawaii, but I'll never be able to afford that. So California is second on the list of unaffordable, very nice places to live. We we have uh, we have a the boundary waters in Minnesota, in the far north of our state that are fascinating, amazing. Uh, like you can portage out and you know like out with a canoe, portage a few times and get into a place where there's just no humanity 
anywhere in sight and the northern lights appear overhead and it's magical and scary in its bigness and i enjoy that a lot that's awesome sounds really fantastic but there are no gift shops really you can go to duluth and get a beer i guess but anyway that sounds cool i'm not sure that i recommended gift shops as part of the big sur experience (laughs) i feel feel like you you mentioned a lot of uh more tourist type stuff at the end as uh perhaps a pacifier to people who were uh, scared of the idea of overnighting on a hike. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose that it's also uh, the Esalon Institute is down there also, if, you, if you're if um, you so inclined. What is that? Uh, it's some sort of some basically uh, yoga and healthy living retreat type thing. Ah. Do you do yoga? I do not. And I, I know that I'm going to get mail from Dave Tier for, for saying that, I suspect. <laughs> Dave seemed very surprised when I started talking about yoga i uh i just I'm, I'm three classes in and it was forest yoga actually that uh because it's a harder workout it's mm-hmm. like 60 minutes of just sweating i drenched my mat and that was when i first realized that that kind of exercise made my brain work mm-hmm. and uh and then i started running to replicate that but yoga has been really good for me I'm sure Dave would say the same. Sounds like something I should perhaps explore someday. (laughs) There are a lot of apps on the Apple TV for yoga now. In case you were looking. (laughs) Okay. So my third pick is uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, The new season just came out on Netflix. And it is... It's an amazing show for as relatively low budget as it is. And for as corny as the overall premise and the characters are written, the actors make it hilarious. It's heartfelt. It's uh, produced by Tina Fey, who I love just about everything she does. And uh, so now that's the one where she was formerly a cult member. Well, she was kidnapped and put into a bunker for 15 years of her life and never knew the outside world. So a cult, but not voluntarily. I see. And now she's trying to, reintegrate into society but 15 years behind as far as pop culture goes and completely naive as far as anything after the age of 15 goes in human development and and uh, in new york city right 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 and living with uh uh gay black uh formerly closeted uh small town guy who has come out and perhaps with more gusto than would be expected because he felt so restrained his whole life. And the two of them together in a small apartment, living with a relatively insane older woman who is their landlord ostensibly. Um, And that, that combination alone is just, it's fireworks. It's fun. Cool. I do recommend it. Um, Sounds worth checking out. <laughs> yes, it's very inclusive in its um, derisive humor and uh, kind of ability to make fun of, fun of itself and everyone involved. And the, my favorite character development this season was actually one of the kind of Stepford wives involved. Like, there's this whole like realm of high society women that Kimmy ends up kind of working for, uh, but mm-hmm. one of them is. Her, she's the meanest of the mean, but it turns out that all she really wants is someone to dethrone her. That she just ah, uh, she craves okay. the competition. She craves someone worthy of <laughs> knocking her down from her pedestal, and it makes a very um, intriguing character development over a few episodes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's it's something I'll probably talk more about on Overtired with Christina Warren. Um, but uh but yeah that would be my top thing on my on my head this week. Excellent. Thank Although, you for sharing all this. Then there's Game of Thrones, but ugh. It's so hard to get back into now. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I don't. That's probably good. Okay. It's uh that and Walking Dead, they're probably the two greatest television series of all time in my life. I did see the station agent just to count for something, right? <laughs> just because it has Dinklage in it? 
Yeah, and I mean, I saw it back in an indie theater umpteen million years ago. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, other than both featuring Peter Dinklage, I don't think those relate at all. No, fair enough. Yeah, sorry about that. You should try it, though. You should try season one of Game of Thrones. You'll we be amazed. A, like they immediately, have a good friend who's encouraging us to do that. <laughs> they immediately start killing every character you love. As soon as they make you like someone, they kill them. Which is why the Oatmeal's joke that 2016 seems to have been written by George R.R. Martin after Prince died and all of the previous celebrity deaths, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that is kind of sad. All right. So anyway, uh, you can be found at MacGreg on Twitter. Yes. And Smile can be found at smilesoftware.com. What was the name of your cooking blog? Uh, I, have, I have a blog called CodeCookRead.com. CodeCookRead. C-O-D-E-C-O-K-R-E-A-D.com. Nice. Okay. I was looking Code Cookery because that's how I heard you say it. But All right. And yeah, that led me to Code Cookery, which is Uh-oh. a horrible looking website. <laughs> but it seems like someone really cared about it. But anyway, CodeCookRead.com. Mm-hmm. Is there anywhere else you'd like to mention? Uh, I think that that's plenty. I mean, folks who are interested in text expander or smile should hit smilesoftware.com. Um, and folks who want to find me, Matt Gregg on Twitter. Perfect. And I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm TT Scuff everywhere from Twitter to GitHub. And you can find me at brettterpstra.com. And you can go to ttscoff.com and that'll get you there too, just for consistency. Um, so yeah, thanks for being here, Greg. Well, thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Good talking to you. And uh, that was episode, I don't know, 163 with Greg Scown. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm.